Welcome, everyone. I'm Sandra Bargeman. A few years ago, I wrote and performed a solo show called The Edge of Every Day, which was an exploration of the rough edges and contradictions we all face and grapple with. The show hit a nerve, and the relevance of the topic would only grow over time more than I could have foreseen. So, here we are. Real talk with real people, sharing stories and perspectives that spark provocative invitations to leap out of what's safe, on the edge of every day. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. We are live in the hive. Thank you for joining me on this, the 18th episode of The Edge of Every Day here on talkradio.nyc. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, and for those of you who don't know me yet, I encourage you to check out my bio on talkradio.nyc, or of course, you can visit my website, sandrabargeman.com, or tune in to any of my previous episodes. In a nutshell, this show is about celebrating triumphs, pushing boundaries, and exploring rough edges through conversations with shared stories with friends and colleagues. It's my hope that we can begin to understand our edges. And what I mean by edges is those places where we are fearful, those places where we are resistant to change, those places where paradoxes and contradictions live in our beliefs, in our understandings, both about ourselves and the world around us, those places where we don't want to look. We live in turbulent times, and we are coming to understand that life isn't black or white. It must be an embrace of both. And the more we recognize our own edges and get real about them, the more we can help others to do the same. And that, I fully believe, can help to change the world. So thanks again for tuning in. And without further ado, it's time to introduce our guest this evening. Adele Anderson of LifeCoachAdele.com has a background in holistic medicine and is an NLP practitioner and certification trainer. She is a grief coach and counselor, the host of Mind Your Freedom podcast, and the founder of Grace Grounding Retreat Center in Half Moon Bay, British Columbia, Canada, where she leads workshops and group, group coaching sessions on emotional fluency, compassionate communication, conflict resolution, and team building. She coaches and certifies coaches who desire greater understanding of subconscious mind processes, teaching how to access, awaken, and reprogram the inner resources of their mind so they can achieve greater emotional fluency and resilience, turning, as she says, challenge into change. At 27, Adele survived a plane crash. The plane in which she was a passenger crashed and flipped in the water, trapped and struggling to escape. She was mesmerized by watching the life she had lived flash before her eyes. A vision of her possible future and her death forced her to make a clear choice and to find a way out of the plane. But that harrowing experience 
and her deep understanding of the edge between life and death ultimately did not help her when she became a widow. However, while grieving the untimely loss of her husband, she began to develop a system to support herself through the grieving process. The same system and techniques she now uses in support of her clients. Adele created the Empowerment Success Tool, flashcards for magic words to expand our ability to communicate effectively and to move beyond old ways of thinking and communicating. A reminder, this month is Women's History Month. The theme of Women's History Month this year is providing healing, promoting hope. And I've chosen four women for my four Monday night conversations on the edge of every day this month that do just that. Provide healing and promote hope. Four women committed to the upliftment and advancement of other women. And I am thrilled to welcome Adele Anderson. Hello, Adele. Hello, Sandra. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Oh, it is such a pleasure. Thank you for coming on. I'm here. I'm waiting. (laughs) You are here, and the time is now, and it's a beautiful Mm -hmm. thing. Yes. So I like to share when I can how I know my guests. And Adele and I know each other from, we are a part of a networking group, the Reset Networking Group. And Adele, when after we connected during that, Adele was wonderful in inviting me to come on to her podcast. And we had a delightful conversation about the edge of every day and grief and how we worked and are working through our ongoing grief and how we understand that. And also within this networking group, we did a presentation together about presentational skills, uh, me as a presentation coach and her as an NLP practitioner. And Adele, I was fascinated listening to you. It was a fantastic hour-long three-person panel. Um, And we got to share from our perspective, obviously, for those who are listening in. And I was blown away by what I felt were the connections between the actor's journey, the actor's work, how an actor um, taps into their understanding, and NLP. And lo and behold, I googled it, and there is actually a book out there called Acting Refrains by Robert Barton. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, there's a few things that I could say about about that. You know, when we're listening to a podcast versus, you know, a talk radio live on Facebook, we have that triangle connection for building a rapport. And then if someone's going to become a follower of ours. So mm-hmm. if it goes in through our ears, it creates a vision within our mind. And then it has to resonate with an emotion within our body. So that triangle has to actually happen before this becomes a listener. But of course, acting is storytelling and it uses a lot of metaphors. I love to pick out the metaphors within movies. Mm -hmm. Um, Storytelling is the most ancient way that human history has been passed down. So, you know, hundreds of thousands of years thousands and thousands of thousands and thousands of years ago the stories around the campfire right and these were um, the original storytelling of our history and then we can move into 
the theater and into movies. It's fascinating. It is indeed. Well, this is a great, uh, great seg into NLP and neuro-linguistic programming. I had a wonderful time um, reacquainting myself with it when I, I was doing my research on you. And I got a really uh, literal translation of the phrase that I, I think it's, it, it's a good thing to share. I know you're gonna share your depth on this and your greater understanding and weave in how you're utilizing it and how it's best used with your clients, etc. But I wanted to start with this because I think it's a great springboard for people to hear. Translation of the phrase neuro-linguistic programming is that NLP empowers, enables, and teaches us to better understand the way our brain, neuro, processes the words we use, linguistic, and how that can impact on our past, present, and future programming. I thought that was a very helpful way to begin and now you can layer in on top of it all your wisdom and understanding and knowledge. So it was developed in the 70s. There was a bunch of scientists, linguistics, cybernetic people, system study people that all got together. But you'll see the founders listed as um, John Grindler and uh, Richard Brandler. And I always say it's psychology, neurology, cybernetics, system studies, and um, system theory and cybernetics, sorry. Mm. So we know that the brain downloads information through our senses. It's then put into the brain and to patterns and sequences to, to understand that. And then we spit it back out in language. So we re-communicate it that way. And the words that we use become quite powerful players in how we're managing our lives. And so I, I move into, um, are the words fighting words? Are they empowering words? Are they disempowering words? And then we can see what's happening within the person's life to see how they're they're managing so we we understand the signature language of someone the top 20 words that everyone uses and we all have our own but they really reveal your coping mechanisms and what you're doing in everyday life fascinating so so each person has their own words so that was where my next question was going to be how do you how do you figure out you know, something that might be fighting words for me may not be for you and vice versa. How So you work with each person to understand how they're processing, what they're taking in and how they, as you said, spit it back out through language. Well, there's definitely those theories are, are true. Like I think Kel- Kelly McConaughey was the one who first uh, discovered that, for example, if some people say that they're stressed, well, that could be negative physiology in your body. However, if you think that stress makes you faster, keener, more ma- motivated, then actually stress becomes a positive physiological mm. component to your body. So it really depends on how we think about it that yeah. determines if it's positive or negative. But in general, we have a lot of combat words in our in our language. We fight cancer. We want to beat cancer, we can go through a lot of the languaging. And when we when we are using combat words, that does does something different within our mind and within our body. So, you know, learning to embrace a different language or being aware of the words that you're using to describe your life 
can be empowering if we just switch some of those words over. So it's a starting point when, when we are working together to learn what that is and how it serves you. So how did, uh, how did you discover this? How did you uh, align yourself with NLP? And, and what was the impulse behind going into NLP and becoming a practitioner? Well, through a coaching program, typically NLP is one of the um, models of going through, like I went through Erickson um, coaching. So the third, the third week is NLP, which just really gives you an introduction. But I found so much value in that process that I took a full certification in it. Mm-hmm. I just found the, the ability for us to reprogram the neural pathways, knowing that the way we think is very malleable Mm. and we we know that it's not a static environment and learning how to engage with the mind and how the mind works then allows us to um, switch those processes up so that we can ease pain empower somebody's behavior or change the pattern yeah change the habit change the pattern yeah the the pathway the neural pathway oh yeah and so the neural we've got two minutes to break um is that enough time to begin to say then how do you how do you begin to (laughs) oh yeah lovely so here's a little metaphor right (laughs) (laughs) so a metaphor of a pen being a neural pathway and you can see this pen has a lid on it yeah so whenever we have an emotion in our body then it connects within our body to physiology Yes. And so that's how it's created in the brain. And we used to think we have to do a lot of talk therapy. Sorry, it's harder to do on these screens. Yes. Um, But that would be coming through. We're seeing it. And trying to understand that. Now we know through NLP, we can come through the back door and change the physiology. So Mm. by removing that cap off the pen, I've neutralized that neural pathway and it actually collapses. And then we can re we can put in a new one that's more empowering for you. Right. And, and if that begins to be the, ha- the new habit, the new understanding that's used. Well, that's a great, we're going to go into break. That's a great way to move into our next section. When we come back with Adele, we will be talking about how a, a life-changing experience brought is part of the reason or the big reason that brought her to NLP practitioner. And so stay tuned with us on the edge of every day. For more with Adele when we come back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. 
Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. of every day and we are back with Adele Anderson on the edge of every day a shout out to my friend Leslie Ellis thank you for listening in and a shout out to all of you listening uh, I'm going to hope that we have some time for some questions with our wonderful Adele Anderson so hopefully we will have time for those so shoot them into the chat if you so desire so I have a, um, because it's Women's History Month, I'm going to start with a quote by a powerful woman that I think visually, metaphorically, makes me think of the experience that you're going to share, Adele. She wears strength and darkness equally well. The girl has always been half goddess, half hell. Nikita Gill. I love that. That's so the edge of every day, and that's so the the light and the dark of the experience that you went through. So please, let's dive in and hear about that life-changing event. Okay. So when I was 27, I was in a plane crash. It was a perfectly sunny day, and we were out flying, dropping in and out of the sky. You know, cheeky got to fly answers when a waitress asked us for another cup of coffee. And then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the sun began to set, and so it was time to move back towards the airport. And that's just when the pilot's voice erupted above the engine's roar. And I followed his outstretched hand past his fingertips. And he was pointing to the river far below. And he wanted to swoop the plane down and skip it across the water like a flat stone before roaring back up into the sky. So without a care in the world, I felt the nose of the plane tilt. And then we pummeled towards the earth. (laughs) But then the plane made contact with the water. And it flipped and it drove the nose of the plane deep into the water. The windows had been open. It flooded the cabin. I saw him go under and my brain screamed for me to take a breath. So when I went to inhale, my mouth filled with water. There I was. This is life changing on a dime. Upside down, you know, buoyancy pulling me up, gravity pulling me down, things bumping my body. The the plane was both spinning and being dragged down the river. And the last thing I discovered is I was trapped. And so then I felt my feet hit the cabin floor hard, tried to buck out of that three-point harness, but it just dug into my shoulders. And uh, the life jacket that I'd been wearing, the the cords had tangled around the three-point harness and I couldn't find that buckle. And then my brain began to clock the seconds. You know, find the buckle, get out of, get, get out of town. <laughs> and you have a and mouth filled with water still. I have, an, I have a mouth filled with water. 
I can't find the three-point harness disconnect. So it was getting rather dire and other warning signs were starting to, to show up. And that was a tingling sensation had started in my fingers and toes and were moving, was moving into my extremities. And I'd been a lifeguard, so I knew what it was. And you know what it is, too. If you were ever that kid who tried to swim underwater as far as you could, you know when you have to come up because this tingling sensation, the lack of oxygen in your system begins to weaken your abilities. And that was happening to me. And so I had the thought sort of float through my brain. I wonder if I'm going to die. And that was like lighting a match. And all of a sudden, my life began to flash in front of my eyes. And I became quite mesmerized. All of these pictures from the moment of my birth all the way through that day. And it was like coming to the close of a day, it switched another switch. And I actually separated from my body. My perspective changed from, you know, just looking at things or actually not being able to look that my, it was pitch black and my eyes were, you know, pretty shut with all the gasoline that was in the water. But then it was um, like I was floating somewhere above and I was looking down on myself and had really long blonde hair like you. So imagine what that looks like when you're in the water, you know, things swirling around. And, and then I had this um, opportunity that gave me this future, this possible future. And that gave me a vision of what would happen if I was to die. And that scene was my parents being informed of my death and um, local police officers walking through my parents' front yard, that conversation unfolding. And it ended with my mother collapsing to the floor. She covered her head with her hands and she screamed. And that was, um, you know, a shock to my system I found myself back into my body struggling and I made a choice right then. I'm getting out of the plane now. And this is why I do NLP (laughs) because that choice was like turning another switch inside my brain. And all of those images that had flashed forward in time began to go in reverse back through billions of images. And then the images stopped And it stopped on a scene of a movie that I'd watched. Here's your acting. (laughs) I didn't know the name of the movie. I didn't know the names of the actors, what the movie was about. But the scene in front of my mind's eye gave me all the information I needed to escape a plane that had crashed and overturned in water. A commander was training pilots how to do that. And I followed the script, escaped the plane and saved my own life. So there's many things that I learned that day and choice is a big one. And this is the most empowering thing that we can all learn is the power of choice. And what I learned was even in life's most dire circumstances, when we feel out of breath, out of time, we still have the ability to make choices that can change the trajectory of our life. And then I learned that I was no longer afraid to die. I had had this amazing experience of being outside of my body where I felt permeated with unconditional love, Mm. complete acceptance and an utter peace and calm. And I thought, wow, if this was, if this is what dying is, it's quite okay. (laughs) So had, did you, did you know, had you ever heard about near death experiences prior to this? Did you have any clue whatsoever? What, you know, I haven't. I wasn't clinically pronounced dead. So an NDE would not be um, the clinical, but people that have been pronounced dead, 17% of people that are revived from a near death experience, 
have cognitive recall, which is quite different from daydreaming and quite different from imagination. This yes. means that they can recall conversations. They can tell you what the room looked like, who was in the room, who was talking, what were they saying, what were the instruments being used. So there's cognitive recall. So we already know that death is not absolute, that even though we can be clinically pronounced dead with no heart rate, respiration, or brain activity, that people are still conscious. They're still conscious. And now we know that even like two to three weeks after someone's died, there's genetic creation. (laughs) I'm not quite sure where that one goes, but I found that fascinating in in recent research that the body is still actually producing living matter. But more than that, you know, we have so much information on consciousness now that we recognize that consciousness, consciousness is not inside of our physical body it actually resides so much bigger yes yeah so you know it gives us a lot of information towards um you know life after death and what does that actually mean for us and from my point of view i feel that it's simply an evolution that we are continuing on um in more of a cosmic sense without the limitations of a physical body but i really do believe that there is something more than what we first see Oh my gosh. Yes. So, so, so you, 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 you get this, this blows my mind that uh, all the scenes you are like right on the, on the script and you, you get out of the, the, the airplane and does everyone make it? Well, there was just two people in there and yes, he did make it. Um, When I came up, I was both exhausted from being, you know, almost collapsed lungs, just, so out of breath and yet the adrenaline kicked in and I was on a high. So I actually, I was a very strong swimmer, competitive swimmer. Um, I got up on the pontoon. I threw my arms to the sky, like an Olympian and then took a breath and dove back in the water. So I dove three different times to try to save him. And the river was moving quite quickly. It was pitch black, was impossible to even see my own nose, let alone, someone else but on the on my third dive when I came back up through the water he was up and he was hanging over the pontoon and he was vomiting so he's he was in really bad shape and um but gratefully he did survive my gratefully amen and I I I can't even imagine the the first few months after this happened what what you were learning about yourself. You mentioned learning about choice, learning about the vastness of consciousness, the vastness that the body is only a part of who we are. It's just a small vessel for the large, the vastness of who we are. Talk to us a little bit about what you did afterwards and then how you came to NLP. Yeah. And made that connection. (laughs) Yeah, it did take me a while because life is like that. We get distracted. So I remember, I, you know, I poured myself into a bath that night. I remember, you know, the, the color of gasoline streaking onto the bath water and, um, you know, got to bed maybe at four or five in the morning, just a couple hours of sleep before I had to get up and go to work. But it was, um, you know, I got up and I actually watched the sunrise and, you know, it was very emotional. It's like I'd been given a gift. I didn't quite know what the gift was yet, but I knew mm-hmm. that I was here for a reason. Mm-hmm. And everything seemed to bring me more wonder. I had I was more joyous um, after my, like I always say, my I was 
it was a gift of life, right? Yes. It was, it was a gift of doing it again and doing it better. And so mm-hmm. I never forgot that feeling of just being grateful, um, pure gratitude for, you know, a flower coming through a pure gratitude for hearing a child's laughter, um, gratitude in, in all of life's experiences. And I think that that, again, was a life changing moment for me in in that, but it did take me a while to discover the reasons behind my survival. And that's when I found NLP. Interesting. Well, that's a beautiful, beautiful way moment for us to take a break. When we come back, we will hear that story about how you discovered it and then how NLP and your exploration of life and death through that event didn't necessarily equip you for another event that was to happen in your life and be another life changer. When we come back with Adele Anderson on the edge of every day, stay tuned. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Chipping around, kick my brain to the ground. These are the days it never And we are back with Adele Anderson on the edge of every day. Sharon. Sharon is on. Hello, Sharon and Milton. Shout out to you both. Tell us more about the power of the energy of love, the love that washed over you, and how that relates to using love as a way to resolve conflict. Love that. Love that. Yeah. Can you dive into that quickly? Yeah, absolutely. If we look at writings like Dr. David R. Hawking's and the power of consciousness, and he gives all of our emotions an energetic vibration Mm -hmm. and love sits at 500. 
The, the world at large is about 204, but about 49% of the U.S. is under 200. And this means that we're resonating on a negative level mm. rather than, um, you know, on a level that's going to attract good things into our lives. Um, so if we look at the the emotion of grief, it is, sits at about 75. Yeah. Luckily, humor sits at about 360. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so we don't lose our sense of humor when we're going through grief. And so that allows us to get that buoyancy. If we feel like we're drowning, then we can come up to the surface, take a breath and feel some happiness and joy. So when, when we have a lens of love or unconditional love, then this is how we view life. Yeah. So when we are in that ontology, then this is how we're going to uh, view incoming information and also how we're going to send that information back out into the world. So if you think of embracing a young a young child and and how can you ever be cruel, right? You just look at that child with unconditional love. So this would again be that that foundation for any conflict resolution. I love it. So to, you used on the word ontology. Please tell our, our listeners what that means. Ontology is a metaphysical root word um, that is about our beingness. Who do we mm. want to be as we move through life? Oh, well, that's a great seg into grief. Grief has a way of changing yes. who we think we are and who we are in the world going forward. I have a line in my show, The Edge of Every Day. Um, I've been leveled and shattered by the edge of grief. Deaths of many kinds, including the death of who I thought I should be. And that, of course, you know, when you lose someone important to you, um, who are you, of course, is one of the number one questions in, in the grief cycle. So this is a, a an opportunity for me to ask you, um, and we'll weave all the other how NLP served you, we'll weave that back in with this conversation in terms of, j- j- please, you with the loss of your beloved husband, please share that story and what you have, how your understanding of life and death and your lack of fear of death was not necessarily in service in this, in your understanding in this process with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause my own death is quite different from losing someone you love. Yeah. Right. So um, when you witness someone else's pain that you love, mm-hmm. that's often hard for us to comprehend or cope with. Um, my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer And it took about nine months from start to finish. And his body really, you know, he was 6'4", 240, fit. He was the least, he was the most unlikely person to die. And within uh, nine months, his body shrank to about 180 pounds. He was just a bag of bones and he could hardly carry his own weight. And then he died. And it was, um, I don't think it's something you ever prepare for. It's still a shock, even though you know that it's coming. And I think my first thought that went through my mind is that forever is a very long time. (sighs) Indeed. 
And diagnosis has its own challenges, right? If you're if you're not in the medical field already, it's like being dropped into an, a foreign land where you cannot speak or read the language, and you're told that you have to, you know, climb this incredible mountain in order to survive. You feel very unprepared, and yet you there's nothing that's going to stop you. Well, and 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 I, my experience with dealing with that process of uh, with my mother is that that there there wasn't a real effort made to explain that language, and which was so disheartening and, and so separate and really surreal the process. In addition to the sadness and the coming to terms with what's actually happening with this person's health and body, that whole scene was it's also. A, a surreal so so you so the it happens and you are tossed into the abyss of grief what were your first steps in first, understand yeah understanding and were, beginning to um, connect with the grief yeah it, I mean, the first the first few weeks are crushing. <laughs> you know, you do everything that you need just to get out of bed. But um, it was interesting. You know, Willis and I had had months to think about this. He had spent a lot of time in bed, and this was really not his style. He was a out in the yard build it kind of guy. He was building our dream house at the time. And but during this nine months, we talked about life, we talked about life after death, we talked about what that would mean for him, what it would mean for me. And we talked about our philosophies of, you know, do you believe in life after death? And he said that he did. And that surprised me. Um, he had grown up in a religious community, very loving community. And yet there was parts of that that I didn't understand. So um, I asked him if he would send me a sign. And he said he would send me the sign of a red-winged blackbird, which was his fam- favorite bird as a child. And so we have loads of them here. <laughs> so I think it was a sure bet for him. Um, but, you know, I felt very confident. So the next morning, I took my morning coffee down to the lake, and I held my coffee cup in one hand, and I held my other hand out for this bird to, to come across the lake and, and land in my hand. And many of them came across the lake because we feed them, (laughs) but none of them approached me. And so, you know, the next morning I thought, well, maybe he needed more time to figure this out. How would he do that? But I came home again, just with an empty cup. And by the third day, I was actually feeling very desperate and I began to beg. Yeah. Beg for a sign. Yeah. And it was interesting. The phone rang. (laughs) And a stranger's voice came through that said, your chickens are here. And so I thought, well, maybe it's a sign. Yes, truly a sign. Beautiful. And it's one of the things of grief. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no. I was just, please continue. I was just trying to give you a moment to breathe. Caring for others Mm. is a way for us to help ourselves. So having those birds, you know, I had to get up in the morning and feed them and water them and and take care of them. And it really became a gift. Of course. But there is another story to that. So <laughs> <laughs> so if I if I can carry carry on for just a second because oh, please. You know, 
I didn't know if it was a sign. I didn't know how, how it works. But, you know, if you read books like um, Laura Lynn Jackson, that's called Signs, and it's, it's an amazing, amazing book. And, um, you know, it took me a few, few months to reach out for a spiritual reading. But mm-hmm. I did because it was, um, you know, I could help my mind and I could help my body, but it seemed like my soul was struggling. This deep wound on my soul, I, I say, it, you know, it's, um, it's a body, mind and soul recovery. But anyway, the first thing out of her mouth was I see feathers everywhere. She says, are, are you finding feathers? Are you do you collect feathers? She said, and Willis is validating the feathers. So we connected with Willis on the other side, I truly believe that the amount of information that she was able to give me was so personal. Um, and, you know, I really believe that these birds that we had ordered or he had ordered 18 months before that never came. <laughs> they showed up three days after he died. And I really do believe that they were a sign. Absolutely. Truly. Thank you for sharing that. So as you are going, connecting with your deep grief, What did you discover? You know, we have, I'm sure you knew this at the time, um, and we all know this as we are going through the process of knowing someone is going to leave us, even though we're still shocked in the moment. But we don't, we're not taught about grief well in our society. We are, and we feel very alone with our grief when grief is to be a communal journey to share with others were you did you find that you could connect did you feel alone what did you discover about your grief in the initial grieving process what did you discover yeah well it comes in waves anybody who's had grief knows that it it's very unpredictable that you have um, a year of casseroles and firsts. <laughs> yes. So all the love of family and friends that come around and um, support you. It's a difficult conversation for many people. They don't know what to say. Quite often they ask you, how are you doing? And well, I could be fine right now, but in one minute I might not be fine. <laughs> right. of course. So how are you doing right now is probably better. Yeah. Or um, how did you sleep last night? It's okay. Or how are you this morning would, would work. Um, it's just that people are at a loss of what to do and what to, yeah. and what to say. And so they bring you a casserole. <laughs> food, the comfort, but, the comfort uh, of food. Yeah. I, I, I discovered that, that, you know, people, I really realized how people are so afraid of, of being present with vulnerability. You know, you know, these things and, you know, I've taught those things, but when I was grieving and people would ask me and I'd, you know, and to your point, I'd be fine. And then I'd be talking and I'd start weeping and, oh, I'm so sorry. And, and, and you could just feel their energy pull away and be mortified that they've quote unquote done that to you and, and not really know how to feel present with it. And I would just take their hand and say, thank you. Thank you for connecting me to this vulnerability, to, to being able to share this and to not be embarrassed by it and to to learn that it's courageous to do this. I I was I'm very shocked at, at our our grieving process and how people 
and maybe it's connected to fear of death. I mean, do you think that people don't want to be vulnerable because of their fear of death? We're just emotionally, you know, protective. There's also, you know, I think the, the, the spontaneous crying that does happen when you're grieving, I always say it's almost like the tectonic plates of the earth. You know, you get those little vibrations and these little shocks that go out so that you don't have the big <laughs> earthquake, right? the emotional, you know, collapse. Yeah, so I think all of them are meant to relieve us from the tension that arises within the body when we are feeling grief, yeah. but it's... Um, you know, it is something that we need to have a better conversation about because oh quite often sakes. people are returning to work. I don't know how three to five days after they've lost a significant part of their life. And, and then people think that they're supposed to be okay. And they're, yeah. and they're not okay. Yes. We need to go to break. When we come back, we will talk about what Adele, what systems she's discovered and has implemented, not only for herself, but with her clients, ways of understanding, coping, learning from, being present to grief. When we come back with Adele Anderson on the Edge of Every Day. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Chipping around, kick my brain to the ground. These are the days it never On the edge of every day with Adele Anderson. Welcome back. Okay, so we're just going to have to say it out loud. There's like, you and I could have this conversation for hours and hours and hours, and there's so much that I want to get to, but we're just not going to get to it. So that's that. Um, that being said, um, talk to us about, uh, you know, when I was grieving the death of the important person in my life who happened to be my mom. Um, d someone told me that you grieve really well, Sandra. 
And I just was floored by that and appreciative. And it really made me look internally as to what that is. You, I suspect, grieve very wisely and well. And, you know, that, of course, that doesn't look pretty, um, but that's not the point. So tell us, what, 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 what did you learn? How did you come up with a system? What do you think is grieving well? What, what, what rituals? What, what's important in this process? So, you know, I, I've mentioned David R. Hawkins a couple of, t- a couple of times, but, um, you know, so I'm quoting him when he says, your solutions are not going to be found in your mind. And this is what my experience was. Mm. We live in a very cause and effect world. We're still in that Newtonian physics when, you know, quantum physics has ruled the world since, uh, you know, early, um, early century. But um, what we have to understand is we can't change the fact. So, mm dwelling and thinking about the fact and trying to solve that will not get us where we want to go and it will also determine how long and how horribly we suffer so the fact is is we have to bypass the fact and heal the emotion and we even have to bypass the emotional label that we give it and look at it in a subconscious mind way Mm. so how does our brain hold the information it holds it through our senses how it sees it, smells it, tastes it, feels it kinesthetically, emotionally, or um, kinesthetically and um, physically. And then what does it sound like? So we have to move into that expression of it, that visualization of what it is, and then we can change it because we understand the fundamental universal law that energy cannot be created or destroyed. It simply changes form. form. And when we recognize that we live in an energetic world, emotions are also energetic. So think of grief as energy that is trapped in your body. And what we're going to do is we're going to convert it or release it so that you can have that energy back. So Mm -hmm. when you're feeling grief, I mean, you just know how little energy you have. I mean, it can just be exhausting. But it's because so much of your energy is tied up in the label, the grief, that you don't have enough energy for you to just get out of bed and make breakfast. And so this is this is the conversion and we can do it in many ways. Yeah. So give us an example of of those many ways. Sure. So um, converting means dropping the label. So if I say I'm in grief, well, what does that what does that actually mean? Mm -hmm. If I stay with grief, it's too overwhelming for me to understand it or conceptualize how I can change that. So if we just close our eyes and move into where it's located in our body, so what are the sensations that we feel? And then we move into that and we take a closer look at it. We can do that with our subconscious mind by simply going in and thinking about that area And then discovering what size it is, what shape it is, what color is it, what texture, is it three-dimensional, is it flat, is it moving in a certain direction, does it have a beat or a buzz or a noise or a scream, how compressed is it. And then we know if we can change three things about that, that the brain cannot hold on to it. Because it can only hold on to it in the form that it was created. So if we can do a visualization that changes the color, the texture, the direction that it's moving, 
the temperature, we can move through all kinds of it. That has to collapse. And then, you know, we can move into it again and just dismantle these energetic blocks. So that's one way, you know, of changing the visual. And the second way, which, which ultimately changes our physiology because the physiology is connected to the emotion. Mm -hmm. So we can also go through the back door of that and change our physiology, change our heart rate, respiration and body temperature while refocusing the mind on something that's challenging. So for example, if you went for a, a walk around the block where you were, you know, pumping it out a little bit and inside your mind, you were saying the alphabet backwards, this can break those neural pathways and enable you to have longer periods of coping and this gives you your power back, but it also gives you your energy back. So those are two quick solutions. I can also talk about, you know, our emotions are stored in our middle brain. Mm -hmm. So learning how to move between the brains and what the functions of those brains are. So when you're feeling an emotion, then you're living the dream. <laughs> it might be more of a horror movie. Right. So then you're in your middle brain. So what you want to do is you want to move to the neocortex. And the neocortex is a cognitive functioning brain. So this is where we learned things. So as a child, we learned nose, glasses, hair, lips. So simply by identifying things, just like driving a standard car, we have moved into this gear. And this okay. gear means that we're not focused on the emotion itself. Even by identifying the emotion, we've put a we put a bit of a shield between the pain that we feel mm. by, by moving to that forward brain. But I would encourage you rather than identify the emotion, I would, um, you know, identify things that you're grateful for. So there is one that's called the fire drill, five things that you see in front of you right now. And so do it in detail. You know, I see a, a blue piece of art with a, you know, a wood carving on it that, you know, looks like an owl that's sitting on a, on a stick. So you can go into these details and then mm. four things that you can feel on the outside of your body. So temperatures, pressures, um, you know, are your feet inside of shoes or does the weight of your bottom press against the seat, the difference in temperature from when you're, where your skin's exposed to being underneath a shirt, your hair on your face, um, three things that you can hear, two things that you can smell and one thing that you can taste. And by doing that for, you know, 20 to 30 seconds, you can regain control composure of your um, of yourself. Well, and you also touched on something that 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 is powerful. It's powerful for everything, but it's uh, for every moment, every edge of every day. Um, gratitude. I found when I was hot in my grief process, the more that I connected with gratitude. I mean, grief and gratitude went so hand in hand. That was truly the edge of every day the light and the dark and um, really and when I was on your show you asked me how I coped what rituals did I do and I think and you had this lovely explanation of why and journaling and I told you that that was an important thing that I did um, to to tell the story back to you know make a full circle in our conversation the importance of the storytelling and rewriting the the, the re-envisioning it, re-imagining the story. And um, so from a NLP standpoint, why is journaling also a great ritual to do with grieving? Well, journaling is writing, so it's a cognitive function. Mm -hmm. So again, you've moved to that forward brain. Mm -hmm. 
but it also gives you a way from um, to revisit the words that you use. So, you know, this is almost like a self-coaching process. Mm. So when you when you're being coached by someone, quite often they'll repeat your words back to you so that you can hear it in a different way, mm. hearing your own words back. So journaling also gives you that reflection of um, revisiting the words that you use and also giving you that separation from being in a cognitive um, space mm. and an opportunity when you train yourself to look at your experience through the lens of gratitude or through the lens of love, because then we are, you know, positive physiology. And this is, um, you know, training our brain that when we feel a certain way, our action plan is to, you know, move towards gratitude, remain in the positive, use cognitive functions, and then we gain strength and we move forward. Beautiful. Well, Uh, We've got a couple of things that we're not going to get to, but this is a great way to bring up your giveaway. I'm going to quickly read these from Milton. Can we move away from grief too quickly? That was one of my questions, of course, as well. Um, And from Tom Kammer, shout out to you. Could you speak more about the steps involved in collapsing the neuropathways? I have found that my grief sometimes comes on because my thoughts have me automatically focusing on the saddest most troubling aspects of my loved one's death. And we don't have time to delve into those, but this is a great way for me to announce Adele's giveaway. And the, you can, Tom Kammer and Milton, you can go directly to Adele on the phone for a free session with her and she can answer these things. Adele, please let us know where, where they can find that quickly. Yes. In your show notes, I'm, I'm leaving a link for a rainbow energy session. And right. so it's a 30 minute um, connect with me on Zoom. We'll record it and we'll actually walk you through some processes and I can answer your questions. And I think grief is a very personal thing for everyone. And so, um, yes, you don't want to be distracted and not process your grief, um, Milton. So and Tom. These are important questions. Thank you both for them and to Sharon as well. And we're going to need to to say goodnight to our dear Adele Anderson. Thank you so much for this incredible conversation, for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and your beauty and your goodwill. I'm so grateful that you came on. Well, thank you, Sandra. It's always so I'm grateful to share because it's such a, a big conversation for us to have. Yeah. And I think it's a conversation that, you know, would be helpful for so many people as, you Indeed. know, there are only a few things that we can avoid in life. And I don't think that this is one of them. <laughs> no, this gets every one of us, every single one of us. And I'm going to reach out to all of my listeners and thank you as well for tuning in to the edge of every day. Be with us next Monday at 7 p.m. I'm going to close out with, where is my beautiful one for, oh, oh, and there's going to be some resources as well before I I close out. There's going to be a few uh, books and resources that I'm going to get into the show notes as well. I'm going to leave you with this. This is perfect for dealing with your grief. From Eleanor Roosevelt. You must do the thing you think you cannot do. It's apropos in so many situations. 
So thank you all for listening in. Remember, we are always on the edge of the miraculous. Till the next time, take good care. This is our last dance. This is our last dance. This is ourselves under pressure. Under pressure. Under pressure. Listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.